And we're going to continue in our worship. If you have your Bibles, want to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to uh, continue in our series, uh, Life According to Jesus. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16 this morning. Uh, 13 through 16. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here this morning and worship you. Lord, we thank you this morning that you have provided a way that we may know you, that we may have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that because of that, we have hope for the future. And Lord, we, we thank you that because of that, not only do we have hope for the future, but we, we have a task for the present. And Lord, as we look into your word this morning and as you challenge our hearts fresh and anew from what you have to tell us, help us to realize that, uh, that you're not finished with each and every one of us in this room yet. Lord, you desire to use us and, and, and to make an impact in the world around us. Father, we thank you for this last week of ministry. We thank you for the many, many individuals who invested hours and hours of their time to be salt and light to the kids of this community. Father, we're thankful for the many, many children that got to hear the good news of Jesus Christ this week. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that as they heard that, Lord, that they might, if they don't know you, realize they need you as their Savior that you might work in and through their lives and bring them to a saving knowledge of yourself. Lord, we're thankful for this, this body of believers, this family that gathers here, uh, not only to, to serve you, but to encourage one another, Lord. And you're well aware that as uh, we come before you in prayer this morning, that there's many of our family members who have needs and, and concerns and burdens. And Lord, we're thankful that you care about those things and you're involved in those those difficult situations and areas, working your perfect will in those, in those situations. Father, we, we pray that as we look into your word for just a few moments this morning, that you would just put everything out of our uh, memories that might distract us. And Lord, just help us to focus on you, Lord. Speak to our hearts this morning and challenge us to be more like you. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, you know that we started our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and we, we talked about the Beatitudes. Pastor Dick talked about the Beatitudes, and, and, uh, and he talked about the word blessed. And the word blessed was, uh, was a normal word used in an unusual way. Uh, the word blessed meaned, uh, meant happy, and, and, and what it was trying to communicate was that, that happiness had nothing to do with the external circumstances or situations that we might find ourselves in. But happiness came from an internal source, and we know that an internal source was our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so uh, we, we looked at these beatitudes and, and, and these, these characteristics that God internally was producing in our lives that gave us some happiness, that, that, that gave us uh, a focus and, and, and gave us a different perspective than, than the world around us. And as we went through those, those beatitudes, Pastor Dick was telling us that they built one on top of the other. And it was kind of like a ladder that you climbed until you, you started with poor in spirits, and that was just mainly helping us to realize that uh, we need to beg God for mercy, that we're helpless, that we're sinners, and that we need to be saved. And, and you went up from there till you got to the last rung was, uh, blessed are those who per- are persecuted. And, and as, as God produced those characteristics in our lives, we said we kind of climbed the ladder and became more and more Christ-like. They built on top of each other. And now we come to this very familiar passage of Scripture uh, that, that we find after the Beatitudes. And in some ways, this builds on those Beatitudes. Uh, as Jesus was, was talking to the believers, he was encouraging them to, to, to develop these characteristics and hoping that, 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 that the Holy Spirit was developing these characteristics in our lives. And, and if those characteristics are being developed in our lives, it kind of naturally flows to this next passage of scripture, that we would be salt and light to those around us. And as I was looking at this passage of scripture this morning, I, I mean, this week, I, I noticed that there, there's a few things that, that stuck out to me in this passage of scripture. And the first thing was a dynamic. Uh, there's a dynamic about this, this passage of scripture. And, and, and basically, um, you know, uh, if you look up the word dynamic, it's a force that stimulates change or progress. It's a force that influences. And if you look at these four verses, really that's what this is talking about. Jesus wants his followers to be an influence. He wants us to be influential in the world around us. Time magazine in, in April this, this, uh, this year put out the top 100 most influential people in the world. And it was a pretty eclectic list of, of entertainers and athletes and politicians and inventors and, and all these different, different, uh, people that, that discovered all these things and wrote books and, and all these things. And there's one name that stuck out on that list to me. The name was Mark Zuckerberg. And, and, uh, it was interesting because in December of two, of 2010, Time had him on its cover as the man of the year. Mark Zuckerberg. Now, you may be familiar with Mark Zuckerberg. He has a, a little social media website called uh, Facebook that 700 million people the world around are using, um, approaching close to a billion people on Facebook. We, uh, we had the opportunity to meet people in the Dominican Republic, and as soon as we got home, we had friend requests from those people that we met in the Dominican Republic via Facebook. Uh, Facebook has changed the way that a lot of us communicate. And, and they said that Mark Zuckerberg was, that was one of the most influential people in our world in the last year. And as we look at these four verses talking about salt and light, really what Jesus is trying to communicate to the believers is, he wants us to be on that top 100 list. He wants us to be one of the most influential people in this world. 
And he doesn't want us to create a social media website or to create a, a new invention or anything like that. He wants us to build relationships with other people and be influential in those relationships to share with them the one thing that truly matters is how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to share the hope that we have within us. And so this, this passage of Scripture, it's all about influence. It's all about being that dynamic influence wherever God has placed us. Whether it's a trip to the Dominican Republic or a trip to Giant this afternoon. Uh, whether it's going to the office that we work in or hanging out in the neighborhood we live in with our neighbors. God desires His people to be a powerful force that influences, that influences other people. And that's what He wants us to do. And so, so that's the dynamic that God is talking about. But you see, as we look at the dynamic, we also have to realize that there's a disorder. There's a disorder that we face that maybe makes it a little more difficult for us to be that dynamic influence that God wants us to be. And the disorder we're all aware of is this world that we live in is corrupt and dark. Uh, the world that, that, that we live in is corrupt and dark. The world needs salt because it's corrupt. It needs light because it's dark. You know, the biblical worldview that's communicated through Scripture is that our world is corrupt and decaying. It is dark and darkening. And any person that tries to, co to communicate to you or tries to, to tell you that man is evolving upward has been deceived and is deceiving other people. I mean, if you think about the last 100 years, just think about the last 100 years and all the things and improvements and discoveries in the areas of science, medicine, education, and technology. Think of all those improvements. Now, let, let, let's, let's take technology for a second. I've got a smartphone in my hand. In the last few years, these things have become all the rage. And with this little phone, if, if, if I had all the right things in place, I could turn the lights on in my house, I could set the air conditioner level in my house. I could unlock the doors in my house. I could check how much fuel was in my car. I could start my car. I could see when my car needed an oil change. I could communicate with my DVR and set to tape my, my, my son's favorite TV show, The Clone Wars from Star Wars. Uh, you know, I, 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 could, I could communicate with people in the Dominican Republic via Facebook. I could check my email so I don't, I, no matter where I was, I could always get my email. I could, you can do almost anything with this little phone. It's an amazing piece of technology that we have available to us. And while, you know, our technology and man's knowledge and, and, and the discoveries have, have, have improved and, and, and just amazing things that they've found, we have progressively deteriorated spiritually. We have progressively deteriorated spiritually. Instead of improving the moral and spiritual quality of man's life, all these discoveries have provided a way for us to express and promote our depravity faster and more destructively. You see, we're, we're aware of the disorder. We're aware of the disorder that all of us face. We're infected with a deadly virus called sin. All of us in this room are affected with that deadly virus, which apart from God, there is no cure. And you know, as we talked about all the great 
improvements in medicine and all the discoveries and everything like that that we approach and we try to find all these cures. We know the cure for our sin problem. It's just that we're not interested in it. We don't want our sin cured. We want to go on living our own life. We want to self-indulge and hate God's righteousness. We want to do our own way and are not real interested in God's way. You see, God wants us to be a dynamic, influencing force in a very dark world that has a huge disorder, and that's the sin disorder. You know, David said in Psalm 51.5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from when my, the time my mother conceived me. And Jeremiah 17.9 said this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We live in a dark world that has this disorder called sin that separates us from God. And if we're going to be the dynamic, influential force that God wants us to be, we have to communicate how to handle this disorder called sin. And so Jesus goes on and, and he has the crowd there sitting down on the hillside and, and he wants them to be this dynamic influence. And he knows that there's this disorder in the world. And he communicates his desire to them. And he simply says to his disciples, my desire is this. I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. You know, as, as we think about uh, the Beatitudes that we talked about last week, the Beatitudes were not supposed to be lived in isolation. They weren't supposed to be lived in a little Christian huddle called church. Jesus wanted those Beatitudes to be lived out in the public. And when we go live those out in the public um, uh, among other people, Jesus knew that if we were living that kind of life, we would have the influence that he wanted us to have. And so he challenges his disciples and he tells them, my desire is that you're salt and light. In John 17, verses 14 and 15, a very familiar passage, Jesus says, I have given them or the disciples your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And here it's pretty clear that Jesus desires us to be an influence in a, in a world full of disorder and sin, and he doesn't want us to be afraid and, and, and huddle inside a little church building. He says, my prayer for the disciples, and we can, we can put ourselves in that prayer because that's why we're still here today. My prayer is that he doesn't take us out of the world, but that we would be in the world and that he would protect us from the evil one, that we would be living our life in such a way that we would have positive, influential relationships for the kingdom of God in this world. And that's what he's communicating and so he communicates two clear thoughts here in his desire for, for disciples. Uh, you're to be salt and you're to be light. And in both those uh, instances, he uses the word you and are. And I think it's interesting that we need to look at these two words before we look at salt and before we look at light. But the word you, in, in, in both verses, this pronoun is emphatic. And the idea is this, you're the only salt of the earth and you're the only light of the world. You know what? The world's corruption will not be impeded and its darkness will not be illuminated unless God's people are salt and light. 
the very ones who are despised by the world, the very ones who are persecuted by the world, are the ones who have the hope for the world. It's believers. And, and Jesus was trying to tell his disciples this uh, back in, 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 in his time, was that, you know what, you're going to be despised and persecuted, but you're the ones that have the hope for the world. And so this idea of you is that you're the only salt and you're the only light that this world has. And then it moves on to the word R. And R is an interesting word because R stresses being rather than doing. I'll say that again. R stresses being rather than doing. And so really, Jesus is stating a fact here. You are salt. You are light. You're to be salt. You're to be light. He's not giving a command or a request. Salt and light represent what Christians are. And I guess the only question, as Jesus goes on to say, is whether or not we're useful salt and effective light. But the very fact that we belong to Jesus Christ means that we are salt and we are light. And that's what he desires us to be. And so let's break it down and look at salt and light individually. And and in Matthew 5.13, it says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I know that uh, if you're if you're like me and, and normally our, our interaction with salt is usually at a table with food on it. And uh, if you're like me and have little kids, they love salt and they love to grab salt and pour it on everything and anything. And uh, they kind of learn from me that they usually put it on before you even taste it. And uh, so which isn't really a good thing. And so our view of salt is it comes in this little container that you can get at the grocery store, and it's not real expensive or anything like that. But, uh, but salt has always been a valuable commodity in, in human society. And, and, and in Jesus' day, it was much more valuable probably than what we think of today. You know, the Romans held that except for the sun, nothing was more valuable than salt. Often Roman soldiers were paid with salt. That's how valuable it was. And if you weren't uh, a very good sol- a soldier, uh, the term came, you aren't worth your weight in salt. Uh, that meant that you, you weren't very effective. Uh, it wasn't worth your paycheck, so to speak. Uh, and that, that's where you get that expression, not worth his salt, originated for. In some ancient societies, salt was used as a mark of friendship. For two persons to share salt indicated a mutual friendship and responsibility to look after one another's welfare. And so that, that, that was an important uh, kind of communication of friendship. Salt was frequently used in the ancient Near East to bind a covenant. In some ways, salt was kind of like a notary today, a notary stamp. When, when two, cup, when, when two uh, uh, parties came together to make a covenant and they, they exchanged salt or partake of salt together, it binded that covenant together. In Israel, when babies were born, and we've had a few babies born here in the last two weeks, they were rubbed with salt to purify them. I don't know about you, but when my children were born, the first thing they didn't do was uh, get the salt shaker out and and pour them on them. Um, You know, in numerous ways, whether the hearers uh, that Jesus was speaking to were Roman or, or Jewish or whoever they were, they would have understood that salt was a valuable, important commodity. So when Jesus said to the listeners there that you are the salt of the earth, they may not have understood exactly what that meant, 
but they understood that it's something important. Hey, we're supposed to be something important. And there's lots of different things that salt does and, and, and uses for salt. But, but as we look at this passage of Scripture, I believe the primary characteristic of salt that Jesus was emphasizing here was that of preservation. Salt was used to preserve things. Uh, you know, back in, as Jesus is sitting there on the, on the hillside communicating to, uh, to the crowd, those people aren't thinking about what's at home in the refrigerator for dinner. They didn't have refrigerators. Uh, they used salt to kind of preserve their meat and different things. And, and so the primary characteristic that when Jesus says we're to be salt, we're supposed to be agents of preservation. Uh, Christians are a preserving influence in the world. We impede moral decay and spiritual spoilage. And if you think about this, if you read the book of Revelation and you read as, as uh, about the rapture, when the church is taken out of the world, it only takes seven years for this earth to drift down into the pits of hell. Once the Christians are taken out of this world, evil is turned loose. And it's seven years and, and this place is, is hell on earth. It's not a very good situation. And so it makes sense when, when we think about as Christians, we are to be a preserving influence. And let's think about that. We're a preserving influence because if Jesus, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, if He is working out those, those beatitudes in our life and we're living them out, we're going to be different. Hey, we're not going to lie. We're not going to steal. We're not going to cheat. You know, we, we're not going to participate in all of those other things that maybe other people don't think there's anything wrong with. And so because we have some morals, because we have some some beliefs and, and some things that we believe we should live out, we're going to impact the world around us because we're living them out, because we have some standards. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this about, uh, uh, talking about just some of the revolutions that were happening in, in Europe. Most competent historians agreed in saying that what undoubtedly saved England from a revolution such as experienced in France at the end of the 18th century was nothing but the evangelical revolution. You know, at the end of the 1700s, France went through this political unrest and upheaval. And Europe was worried that this, this unrest and upheaval that happened in France was going to spread all over Europe. And they were worried that it was going to spread to England. And most historians say that the reason it didn't happen in England... This was not because anything was done directly, but because masses of individuals have become Christians and they were living better, a better life, a life of character, a life with a higher outlook. They, most historians say, you know, the reason that England didn't experience that revolution, that political unrest, that upheaval was because God had worked in the hearts of many people and they became to know Christ and they had that preservation effect in their country. They were living for a higher calling. They were living a life of character. And you know what? As God's children and as temples of the Holy Spirit, we represent God's presence here on earth. We are the salt that presents, prevents this entire earth from degenerating even faster than it is. And so uh, the desire that, that Jesus has for His disciples and for us who are following Him now 
is that we're to be God's salt, impeding the corruption of the world. So that's the salt. Jesus goes on in verse 14 and says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. As Christians, he calls us to reveal his light, the gospel or truth to others. In the fullest sense, God's light is the full revelation of his word, the written word of scripture and the living word of God. Now we're all familiar with passages of scripture like Psalm 119, 105. We've memorized this as a child. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We know that God has given us his word as a light to guide us and direct us. His word is a light to us. And in John 18, uh, John 8, 12, Jesus says, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, if the written word of God is the light and the living word of God, Jesus is the light, then, then what does it mean that we're to be light of the world? What, what does that mean? And, and very simple, I think it means this. If this represents the living word, Jesus Christ, and, and the written word, Scripture, then this represents us. And just as a light, the living word, and, and, the, and the written word impacts our lives, we're to be a mirror. We're to reflect His light to other people. That's what He wants us to do. And so we're to reflect His light to those around us. And in essence, what it really means is this. You may be the only Bible people ever read. And you may be the only Christ that people ever know. And really what that means is our job as believers in Jesus Christ is we're to reflect His light to those around us. That when people look at us, that they would see Him and His light in our life. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6, through 6, Paul said this, The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourself, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourself as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 6 could be rendered like this. God who first ordered light to shine in the darkness has flooded our hearts with his light. Now we can enlighten men only because we can give them the knowledge of the glory of God as we have seen it in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ is the true light and we're supposed to be his reflections. That's when Jesus says we are his light. We're supposed to reflect his light to other people. The desire here is we're to be God's light, illuminating truth and exposing error in the world around us. So that was, that was Jesus' desire. But he goes on to express some difficulty that we might have. And the difficulty that we might have is this. It's found in, in the second part of verse 13. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You know, much salt in Palestine, like found on the Dead Sea shore, was contaminated by other minerals. And when they found this contaminated salt, if you found contaminated salt in your house, you quickly got rid of it. You threw it out on the path to be trampled down as people walked by because you didn't want that contaminated salt in your life, in your house and in your life. And so they would get rid of it. And, and there's, 
there's this sense in which salt really can't become unsalty. It just becomes contaminated. Uh, it doesn't become unsalty, but just becomes c- contaminated by something else. And it would no longer, longer function as well as it should function. And so if we think about this and think about us as believers, uh, Jesus wanting us to be salts, you know, we don't, you know, we don't become unsalty or lose our salvation. What Jesus is communicating is we can be contaminated by sin and lose our effectiveness. We can't represent him and be the influence, that dynamic influence that he wants us to be in this world if we are contaminated by sin. If sin is present in our life, we, we can't do that. You know, with this great responsibility of being salt comes great danger. We can't be an influence for purity in the world if we've compromised our own purity. We can't sting the world's conscience if we continually go against our own. We can't stimulate a thirst for righteousness if we've lost our own thirst for righteousness. We can't be used of God to retard the corruption of sin around us in this world if our lives have become corrupted by sin. Salt gets contaminated and becomes ineffective because of sin in our life. God doesn't want us to be ineffective. He doesn't want us to be contaminated by sin. It goes on and and talks about light. And in in verse 15, it says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. And by nature and definition, light must be visible in order to illuminate. It has to be visible. A secret Christian is is just as absurd as a hidden light. There's no use use for a hidden light, and there's no use for a secret Christian. Lights are to illuminate, not to be hidden. They're to be displayed, not covered. And light, too, is in danger of becoming useless. And that's what Jesus is trying to say here in verse 15. Like salt, it can lose its essential nature. A hidden light is still a light, but it's a useless light. That's why people don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. They put it on a stand so that you can use that light. And we know that... uh, that God is light and He has shared His light with us and He wants us to share that light with other people. And if we hide that light, it doesn't do us any good and it doesn't do anyone else any good. Light gets hidden and it is useless because of complacency. We get pretty complacent. We've experienced God's light. We've experienced His salvation. So we know that where we're going and where we're going to spend eternity And that's good enough. And so we don't bother to share that light with other people. And so Jesus is saying there's a danger here. There's a difficulty being salt and light. And that that difficulty or danger is, you know, you could be contaminated by sin and you could hide your light because of complacency. And he ends this, this passage of Scripture by just talking about why, why he designed this whole process, why he designed his disciples to be salt and light. And in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men. They may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Very simply, the design that Jesus had was here is as we're salt and light, we bring him glory. We glorify him in this world. 
it's, it's God's light, and it's our choice whether to hide it or let it shine. And, and that word, you know, let, let other people see our good deeds, the, the word good here emphasizes attractiveness or beautiful appearance. And Jesus isn't worried about how my hair looks or what kind of clothes I have on, but what he's talking about is we need to show our good works or the beautiful things, the beautiful work that God is doing in our lives so other people might see that work that God is doing and they might give God glory for that. You see, we're not here to bring any attention to ourselves. We're here to put all the attention to our God who saved us. And now we have the privilege to live for him. And so we're not, we're not bringing attention to all the things that we're doing. When people look at our life, they see all the things that God is doing in our lives. And they give him honor and glory. They give him honor or glory. The design for us is to glorify God. And so the question that I want to leave with you today is this simple question. Are you influencing or being influenced? We just shared about uh, an experience that we had for a week in the Dominican Republic. And let me tell you, we prayed for that week. We prayed that God would use us as an influence. We prepared that God would use us as an influence. That was our focus. That was our desire And to be really honest, that's not real difficult. It's not real difficult to get excited about going to the Dominican Republic. It's not real difficult getting excited to go and, and, and minister in a different country. It's exciting. It's an adventure. It's, you know, and, 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 and it's maybe not that difficult. But you know what's difficult? As soon as the service is over, I'm getting the car and I'm driving to the beach and I'm going on vacation. What's difficult is being salt and light while I'm at the beach. You see, my focus going to the Dominican Republic was, you know what, God, use me. I want, I want, I want to be influential. I want other people to see you in and through me. But when I'm thinking about vacation, I gotta be honest, I don't really think that way like I was thinking about going to the Dominican Republic. But if we really look at these four verses, what God is really trying to tell us was, you know what, No matter where we're going, if we're going on a missions trip, if we're going to the office tomorrow morning, if we're going on vacation today, our focus is, you know what, God, use me as a dynamic influence for your honor and glory. And i got to be honest, I don't often think like that. I don't often think like that. And because I don't often think like that, I miss out on a lot of opportunities that God probably brings my way. So the question all of us need to ask is, am I influencing or being influenced? Am I looking for opportunities on a daily basis to be the salt and light that God wants me to be? Or am I contaminated with sin? Am I complacent and not one to shine my light? That's the question. That God wants us to answer. You know, we've, we, we know this passage of scripture. We, we've, we've read it time and time again. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we can probably even memorize the whole thing and say it from memory. The hard thing is living it out on a daily basis. God's desire is that we be this dynamic influence in the world. And each and every one of us in this room play a part. And when we're not focused on being salt and light, we're really being unfaithful to him. And we're not being 
who God designed us to be. Are you influencing? Are you being influenced? This week, are you going to be salt? Are you going to be light? Choice is up to you. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the opportunity we just have to, to know it and, and to, to, to read it. And, and Lord, I pray it would be just something that we just don't know or read, that it would be something that, that we would live out. And Father, as we leave this place today, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to be salt and to be light in this world, that we'd be a, uh, an influence of preservation, that we would, it would impede the, the corruption of this world, and that we would be an illuminating uh, source of light, exposing truth and, 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 and showing error. And Lord, help us to realize that, that to be salt and light is just more than just living our lives as good people, but it's building relationships and speaking your truth in those relationships with other people, sharing with them how they can know the truth and have a personal relationship with you. Father, I pray you'd work in our hearts and help us to evaluate if we are the type of believers that influence those around us or if those around us influence us. And if that's the case, show us the areas that we need to change. In your name, amen.